Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Kiria Martinez, the County Administrative Officer for the County of Kings. Kiria, welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thank you for having me. Well, I mean, we are public CEO, and who better to be a public CEO than the county administrative officer for a county? Like, that is effectively the epicenter of what public CEO is all about. So it's great to have an executive like yourself on to have a conversation. Uh, I'm a little bit familiar with the County of Kings because we, in my other life as Trepepe Smith, we had an opportunity to work on your redistricting process. Uh, now it seems like a couple years ago. Um, and so it's good to be back chatting with you. You are new to the role of the, of the county administrator, right? How long have you been in the seat? So effectively, I was acting as of um, April 1st, and then I was actually a permit position as of um, June like 12th. Okay, so you had a two-month interview, and you clearly crushed it, so they gave you the job. Correct, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Welcome to the big seat. So tell me about your career path. How'd you end up in local government? How'd you how'd you maneuver your way on up to finding yourself as the chief administrative officer? So my government career actually started 10 years ago. Prior to that, I for six years, I worked in the private sector while I was going to school. Um, and I was um, just finished my master's program and I was actually starting an internship in Tulare County. And I started at the board of supervisors there and was hired on immediately as a a deputy clerk for the board of supervisors so i worked there you know learning the agenda process um you know what a board of supervisor does Mm -hmm. um it was the probably the best experience because you're actually seeing the action items that come to the board you know you're clerking the board i learned about assessment appeals moved on from there um we had a um, a department that was actually establishing their economic development um, office. So the county pays into um, an economic development corporation. And so at the time, the CAO in Fertilary County felt that there wasn't um, enough outreach for county. So um, at the time, a county economic development office was established. And so they said, hey, we need staffers. You just graduate with your master's. This will be a great opportunity. So I started there. Um, in the resource management agency, which is a um, agency developed of public works, planning, economic development. And I was there as an analyst. I started um, as a staff analyst and I was promoted to an economic development analyst. I ended up leaving as a senior economic development analyst. Um, Then I came over to Kings County in 2017 and I've been here ever since. Um, I started in Kings County as an administrative analyst and work, worked my way up into ultimately becoming the assistant county administrative officer, which is the number two in command. And I was in that role for approximately three years until uh, the opportunity for the CAO position came open. And um, and I thought it was time, my time. You know, I've seen different administrations. In Tulare County, I was under two different administrations. In Kings County, I saw three different administrations. So... Um, I do believe I was prepared. And so that's really how I started my career path into local government. I've always been into local government. I actually wanted to be an attorney. So Mm. um, when I was in between, after I finished my undergrad, I was in a prep course for the LSAT for the, um, to get into law school. And I was in that stage where I was going to either get my master's or get my, um, or go into law school. I was already working full time and it was just, 
at the time of my life, I couldn't not work. So, you know, I took the master's program because it was an evening program and allowed me still to continue working. And so ultimately that's how I ended up in um, local government. So uh, just real quick, uh, where, where, where were you born and raised? Where'd you grow up? So I was born and raised in Visalia. Okay. So that is a neighboring um, city from here in Hanford, Tulare County. Um, I was, um, I went to high school there. I went to community college there. I went to college at, uh, California State University, Bakersfield, CSUB. Mm-hmm. I got my undergraduate there in poli sci and I got my master's in public administration from there as well. I moved there for while I was going to college and then I ended up moving back, um, because at that time I was getting married, you know, starting my, my career path. And so I ended up ultimately in Visalia. Very nice. I actually just was in Visalia just last week. I was there speaking to the local uh, division, the League of California Cities, and had a great pit stop at City Hall. Met some very nice folks and got to drive around town a little bit. It's nice to little town. Visalia is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kings is great, too. So um, so you are uh, uh, the first female and the first uh, Latina, which is inherently female, uh, to, to serve as a county administrative officer. And um, not that that's the reason you were selected, but it's historic or milestone, I suspect, for the county. What is the significance of that? And what's the kind of, what's, what's your overall, like the career path of the excitement of getting to sit in the big seat, so to speak? So it definitely, I feel like affects, you know, um, my career path, because as I started growing up, you know, I'm, I was first generation born here. My parents came from Mexico in their 20s. So I started grade school really not knowing any English. Um, so being bilingual quickly became important to our household. You know, as also as a first to go to college, I felt like it was kind of like a door opener. And, um, you know, younger people in my family are looking up to me now. And, you know, the older um, in my family, um, they're saying, wow, it is possible, you know. So I do feel like um, all those things that are happening, occurring right now, especially, you know, given this position is, is allowing the youth to see that there is a, a path in, in, in local government, you know, especially coming from, from practically nothing with my parents, you know, coming here. And that was really a big accomplishment for me. And I'm very, I, I do feel that because of that, it really does impact my decisions. Cause I know, I know the population, I know the impacts here, you know, we live in very, um, um, poverty, uh, poverty impoverished uh, communities, you know, and so working close to them, even when I worked in Tulare County, it really gave me that sense of pride knowing that the decisions that we make today are impacting those residents that we serve. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, I appreciate the observation about kind of proving that you can make it right. And I mean, I have to believe your parents moved to America for economic opportunity and for a better opportunity for their child or children. I'm not sure if you're an only if you got siblings, but um, so in many ways, you're the fulfillment of their dream that they had when they came to America, right? To see you be successful and become a successful professional um, is uh, probably like uh, like the, one of the most heartwarming things in their lives to see that happen. So that's certainly exciting. And I think it's a great testament to America, too, that you have that opportunity built for yourself, working hard, right, going to school, uh, but given the opportunity and uh, you took full advantage of the opportunities in front of you and made it into something, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a it's a great California story, a great American story from that perspective. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting your comment about uh, having been there in your early childhood for some of those that are in most need of help especially given the rural counties play in health and human services and delivering that, right? It must just give you a very powerful perspective to 
Um, think about the role that you play in the county for servicing those communities members and, you know, arguably building trust with some of those community members as well, right? Correct. You know, when I was in my role in Tulare County as economic development analyst, I had to go a lot to do um, a lot of like door to door because we had to do, you know, grants, we had to do planning and we had to meet with the communities because obviously we serve the unincorporated areas. So I was able to, because of also because I spoke Spanish, I was able to to listen to them and understand what they were asking for, you know, as being someone who actually received some of the benefits that the county offered when I was younger, you know, it was it is it is eye opening being on the other end on the recipient end, and then also being on the other end where you're actually making the decisions and helping guide those decisions for those constituents. Yeah, that's a really powerful um, circumstance uh, to be able to, I mean, it's just powerful. That's just, uh, especially from having somebody who's on the inside now, you have all the inside understanding of how the organization works. You have the outside experience of having been in a circumstance of maybe using some of those services growing up or being proximate to them. So um, the trust building opportunity there is absolutely immense. And from my perspective as a comms guy, like trust is one of the biggest deficits that we're facing right now in our society that we need to really address. And I think it's a huge opportunity for you and your work at the county. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, um, even now in my in my current position, I I come out and um, you know we get a lot of, of Spanish speaking population that comes to our to get some services here, and they always stop me and say, ask me, and and I'm able that I'm able to like actually respond back and say, oh yeah, you know this is what we're doing. This is you know so it's 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 and it's humbling too, you know, because I remember when I was a, a child, you know, going and not knowing, but figuring it out and you know and that's just what we do you know we we I had to figure it out and and I feel like that's what helped me just kind of keep pushing along through life is you know always trying to 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 better myself yeah so tell me uh about lessons learned along the way like your your rise up through these organizations and weaving through like what's been maybe some of the keys to success in advancing your career as uh to achieve the CAO position you know, that's one thing that I always like to tell folks that are trying to get into, you know, their career path is all always, um, you know, it's it's okay to take a step back, to take a step forward. And, and when I mean that, I use an example when I came over to Kings County, um, um, I actually had to take a little bit of a, of, a, of a pay cut, you know, coming to Kings County in the position that I was going in. And it was a, a career moment. I was like, do I want to do this? You know, do I want to, you know, kind of, you know, do that? But ultimately I wanted to learn the administration and this was an opportunity. There was a longtime CAO here at the time in Kings County. Um, and I said, you know what, I want to go work there because I want to learn from the best. And, and I've always been around mentors and, and it's, it's good to learn from those who have been in, in positions for a long time to learn, you know, the ins and outs. And so, you know, I took a step back, but look, it ended up working out for the better for me. Yeah. Two things from there that I always talk about my firm. Uh, one is, well, one thing I talk about my firm all the time is ABL, always be learning, right? And so uh, you got to have a kind of a learning attitude um, if you really hope to be successful, right? And uh, part of being a good learner is to be humble enough to know you have things to learn, right? You have to be humble enough to say, I need a mentor or there's something I can learn from this other person. They aren't just some, you know, they're like some old codger who doesn't know anything anymore because they, like, they, they know things. They have wisdom, and um, injecting wisdom into you at a younger age is an immensely powerful asset to have. Uh, and then the second one that I love about hearing you describe there is kind of this idea of instantaneous, delaying instantaneous gratification, i.e. maintaining compensation levels and sacrificing that a bit for the opportunity of, a, of experience because 
you know, the sooner you can acquire that experience in your career, the many more years you have in your career left to actually leverage it and put it to work for you, right? Right. So. Yeah. And that's what that's what I always kind of tell is is don't get discouraged if, you know, if there's an opportunity that you don't know that's there, but you, you think you, you could do it. You know, I took that leap and it was the best decision I made. And honestly, like I love Kings County, like, you know, moving from a large county to a small rural county, it was really beneficial to see because you had to wear so many hats because you know you have less resources and again that played a big a big part in my growth here in the county and so i'm i will always be grateful for that so i always remind those who want some advice i always say hey you know it's it's okay to take a step back if you're going to take a big leap forward yeah i like that um what uh so you've rebuilt your team right or you've had to build out some of your team there in the office because you clearly when you elevated to the ca role you had an assistant ca role position you had to fill so currently right now, I do have a recruitment out for um, a deputy CAO. So that is out uh, now. It actually closes, um, you know, at the end of the week. And um, so I do have only my two staffers, myself and like a, and a secretary. So, yeah, we are busy right now, especially budget. That is a primary uh, function that we do in this office is prepare the, the budget for the board of supervisors. So we are heavy in that. Although I did put some practices in the last year that really have alleviated kind of working to the last minute. Um, but, uh, but definitely it's a busy time right now, especially trying to navigate, you know, my, my previous role into my new role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of change going on and then having that open number two position can be a big deal. And, you know, I think one thing I should have asked earlier too, how big is the County itself? Like how many headcount are you dealing with? What's your general fund budget? Just give me for our audience to size this up. So our uh, budget is 423 million. We have about 1,660 employees full-time and our population is about 150,000. So we have four incorporated cities. So we are considered a rural county in um, the demographics for the state of California, but nonetheless, we are very um, conservative county and we do hold a lot of, um, you know, our budget there. It's, yeah. It's, um, so that's good, good size. I mean, that's a lot of people, 1600 plus people, is a lot of people, and a big, big old budget to have to administer and manage. Um, what's, what's it like recruiting these days? I mean, I talked to a lot of executives like in your role, I mean, you have a recruitment out right now for a, a position close to you, but in general, especially finding public works folks and line level staff and whatnot, what's, what's been that experience out there in Kings for you? So that is actually one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is is the recruitment and retention. Um, because again, how I mentioned, we are a rural county. We're surrounded by two large counties, Fresno County and Tulare County. A lot of our employees come to come here as um, kind of an, you know, get into the county system and then they move on to other counties. Mm. And so, um, so we have really tried to establish um, you know, we actually focus are heavily focusing on right now. We have a, a employee retention and recruitment committee. We made it up of 10 department heads. We have 22 department heads and we are in charge. We meet weekly on trying to focus on um, flexibility, policy change, uh, culture, um, and the, everyone in our group has assignment to do. And so um, it is a big challenge. Also, additionally, you know, a lot of folks aren't going to college now. I, I believe the college, um, rates are down. And so a lot of positions do require higher education. So fields like um, licensed attorneys, clinicians, um, you know, those positions are actually really hard for us to recruit in, in this area because you get some someone straight out of law school, they go, you know, they want to go to the big city, you know, they want to go to LA or they want to go to uh, the Bay Area. So those are some of the biggest challenges actually we're facing right now. 
What, um, well, first of all, do you have any secret sauce you want to share about what's been some of the good ideas or recruitment strategies you've come up with? Or if you don't want to share them because you don't want to empower your uh, competition, I totally understand. No, no actually, um, I'm glad you asked. It's, you know, it's, we were learning that changing our policies because some of our policies are just super outdated. And so, you know, our organization can take a look at those. We're looking at um, some of the uh, accruals for for um, vacation, their, you know, the vacation of sick leave, or even looking at their um, their commitments to deferred comp compensation. We're also looking at flexibility, you know, rolling out some pilot programs, allowing the flexibility to work for tens. Um, I, just a lot of ideas have come out of our um, employee retention um, committee. Where are you at with uh, work from home stuff? How'd that, how'd that evolve? Because obviously you had to respond to in the middle of the pandemic and create some flexibility. And then on the other hand, I'm sure at some point it was a desire to bring people back to work. So what's been the approach for the county so far, if you can discuss that? So we actually did roll out teleworking once the pandemic hit and um, and then we brought everyone back so you know it was okay when we brought everyone back everyone uh, you know was fine coming back but now we do have pilot programs going on in our county department so we have one in child support we have um our district attorney's office or county council's office we are going to roll out something countywide and it's probably going to be in the fall it's just that we wanted to get some um to kind of work with this uh, summer pilot program that we have going on right now and then see how that works out and see if there's flexibility there. And if not, we're, we're, we're definitely rolling out our teleworking, but uh, we are one of the counties that don't offer like full-time teleworking to our employees. And I believe other counties do offer the teleworking. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a real conundrum and it kind of entered, it enters, we spent a lot of time thinking about this. We have a division at our firm called TS Town Solutions that focuses on, um, kind of culture curation, recruitment, and and things of that nature. And um, so we think about this a lot. A, B, uh, our firm is 100% remote. We've been 100% remote since 2013. So we've been at this a very long time and have built from three employees in 2013 to the 60 plus we have now. So I've seen that evolution and change. It has consequences for communications, for culture building, for team cohesion experience. Um, and I well understand a lot of desire to like bring people back into their seats and get them back into the office and some of those pros. And there's a lot of merit to that. The flip side is uh, when you're in a competitive environment where, say, other counties or agencies are offering remote work and some employees place a premium on that, like that's a competitive disadvantage for you in the recruiting world. So even if philosophically you're 100 percent committed to return to office as an organization, I'm not saying Kings is, I'm just saying in general, you're always going to face that competitive challenge of we might be committed to that, but our employees have a certain amount of you know decision-making authority. And if they want to go with an organization where they get to work from home, that's their choice they get to make. Yes, definitely. And that's what we, we're coming across. You know, um, We're having employees who leave and say, oh, hey, this other job offers me 100% telework, so you know I'm leaving. You know, and so that's where we try to really sell our benefits. You know, I, I we did kind of screen other counties, and we do feel some of our benefits actually do um, are a little bit more um, a selling point for us. You know, we have an employee health center on site. You don't use your sick time. Um, for our managers, you get 100% your health insurance paid for for yourself and your dependents. You know, so we've been real competitive with our with our our benefits. I, mm-hmm. I do believe that our county does offer some really um, great benefits. Plus, they get to work for a fancy new CAO. So you know, there's that there's that perk too. <laughs> yeah, I hope that that they're seeing that there's a lot of change happening here. I do, you know, and even in the last like three months, we've we've 
I do feel like my communication, that's one thing that I wanted to really kind of focus on when I took the role is my communication to the employees and to the public. And, you know, since I've took it, taken office, I've already sent out, you know, two massive wide um, emails to county staff kind of telling them about some of our changes we're doing. We launched all our social media platforms, which we did not have before. Uh, that was Facebook, Twitter and um, mm-hmm. Instagram. And we've gotten a lot of like positive response from that. We've even we've even set up a um, where we know from from our finance department who are retiring. So then we have employees who are retiring. So we're trying to like kind of highlight those employees, you know, hey, they've worked here for 25 years, you know. Um, and and honestly, the feedback we've gotten has been extremely positive amongst yeah. the staff. Well, it's important to recognize the service of those that have been serving the community and pause for that, not only to for internal team building culture and respect, uh, but also to showcase for the public at large the opportunities to work at the county, right? I mean, there's good solid careers that can be made working at the county doing good work you can put your head you know you can lay your head on a pillow at night feel positive about the impact you made and make some money and feed your family and put gas in the car and get on with life so um, these are good things to do yes yes and you know um, again, like I said, we're really focusing because that is our biggest challenge is retention and recruitment. You know, next week we're actually doing some videos to try to get some on specific positions like the attorneys, the licensed clinicians to try to get uh, videos out there. Hey, there's Kings County. You can get into the public sector. I just did a um, new hire employee orientation. So basically we do them like every two to three weeks of all the new hires. And we had 30 there. And out of the 30, only four came from government. Everyone else was from the private sector. Wow. So that, that's really like an opportunity there. You know, you're reaching out to members who have never been part of the government, you know. And so to hear that was really eye opening. You know, I feel like when I first started getting into government, it was really hard to get into government, you know, and it, the positions weren't always there necessarily. And you couldn't meet the qualifications, you know. And so now we're seeing it's, we're seeing it's it's kind of growing. There's a there's a certain cycle to this all too because when the economy is pretty hot, government suffers to be able to recruit, right? And then if a recession comes along, suddenly the government looks like a pretty attractive place to work. So there's there's this element of ebb and flow of the labor force, which frankly is healthy. That's a good sign of a free market of ebbing in and out of the private sector, public sector side to adjust to the change in the economy and things like that. And we've been on a heck of an economic run for sometimes in my opinion, inexplicable reasons, but we've been on a heck of an economic run. So we'll see what happens if the, if the unemployment rate ticks up and whatnot, that could make your recruiting work a lot easier. It'll just create more demand for other services that the county has to deliver as a consequence. Yeah, uh, what are some of your, when you say things are going well, what are your, what, like with your work from home experiments you're running, is there some metrics you're looking at that you wanna gather from that or how are you evaluating the success of that program? So that, so we actually do have some uh, surveys that we send out to employees on on how, you know, they they like the teleworking. We've received all this feedback saying, hey, um, if it were to go away, where you leave another county? And so we are serving the employees where we're figuring out, are they happy in the role or, you know, what are things that we can change in the program? And so all in all, the feedback has been positive, um, you know. Um, so we're looking forward to launching this countywide. Mm, interesting. Um so uh, what's been your favorite part about becoming a CAO? Like, wh- what was the moment where you're like, this is awesome? Uh, the decision-making piece, you know, the, the, the bug stops here. You know, when, when departments come and ask me, you know, uh, like being in the number two role and the assistant CAO role, I always had, I was always telling, um, you know, my CAO, like, hey, this is, this is a recommendation. This is where we're at here. It's, 
I'm the one making that decision, you know, and I'm the one making the recommendations to the board of supervisors. So it's very empowering, you know, and again, humbling too, because um, of, of all the experience. And so that is one of the pieces that I do enjoy, you know, um, also working with departments and figuring out their issues and, you know, how can we make things better and kind of going through those processes with them. Um, I'm super eager to person and as an individual. So, you know, having that on top of it, and I'm also very calm. So I do feel like all in all that allows me to have a very, um, you know, get close with my department heads and figure out and have them trust me. Mm-hmm. So that's, those, those are things that I'm enjoying right now. Uh, nobody needs a super exuberant, high energy, and uh, paranoid uh, executive leader. A little, a little patience and calmness in the storm is always a welcome thing. And every day there's a storm somewhere brewing in in county work. From everything I can tell, working with my county friends. Yes, for sure. Um, and uh, but speaking of the storm, so what me, you know, what what are the big challenges? Obviously, you talk about recruiting being your number one challenge. But from a uh, I guess a service area perspective, what are your big things you're trying to tackle on Kings that uh, is really priorities for your board of supervisors that you're trying to help them get done? So there's a lot like there's a lot of unmanned legislation that comes, you know, that's one thing in our office that, you know, you have to be prepared for is there's a lot of different changes in the state of California that impact us county locally. Um, and so, you know, we have just have to deal with that. There is a lot of legislation that can physically impact us as a county. And so having the forefront there, you know, working closely with our lobbyists, um, those are things that are on our forefront all the time, just because, um, legislation comes out, sometimes they put it, wrap it into a budget bill. And so we don't know it's actually occurring until, you know, it's already enacted mm-hmm. and trying to kind of scramble and, um, you know, figure out what, what are the next steps. And so staying on top of that, that is kind of one of my priorities as well. It's just because there is a lot of legislation that is unmandated and impacts us at, at the local county level. So do you have, uh, is there a legislative tracking function or is that actually just falling on you as the CEO to actually keep track of that? Or do you work with CSAC to get uh, the California state association of counties to keep track of that stuff? Yes, both. So we work with um, CSAC. We work with our state lobbyist. Uh, CSAC's a great resource for like our um, legislation, all our legislative matters. And so that is just one thing that we have to constantly be working with CSAC. Uh, the only thing is that there is that there's like issues that impact larger counties that, mm-hmm. you know, is not a big effect in our county, vice versa. You know, so that's why you have to, we have to kind of just stay aware of things that are changing, because, again, a lot of these things you know, you do an unmanded legislation to a county, well, you're in a big county, they're able to absorb it, but a county like us, you know, who have a smaller budget, it, it really impacts us. Yeah, well, those things can get dramatic um, very quickly, right, for mm-hmm. one of these unfunded mandates that comes along and uh, all of a sudden you're in deep trouble. So uh, causing all sorts of angst and frustration. Uh, any other, any other, how about, so we can talk about challenges, I guess. What's, what's your most exciting thing you got going on in the county that you think is really positive? Either what's going on in the economy that's big or uh, changes in society out there or, or new adventures that are countywide impact? So as you know, we have the Tulare Lake has emerged and it sounds, it's Tulare Lake, but it actually lives in Kings County. Okay. So we're approximately like 90,000 acres flooded in Kings County currently right now. Um, and we had estimated that it was going to be a big financial hit to the county because of that land that's currently flooded. Our assessor is actually going to um, change the property value to zero. So it was going to impact our revenues, but actually the tax rule closed um, two weeks ago and 
the impact was was not as significant as we had expected. So that was great news for us because we thought that that was going to be a really economic um, downturn for us in the county. But the positive news is the Tulare Lake is still here. It's probably going to be here next year and the year after that. But um, because the land sits within Williamson Act, which is you know land that's not farmed, it's a, we are able to um, live through this this episode that's occurring in our county right now. So uh, I guess there's a bunch of things I want to unpack real quick, and I'm going to play. Uh, well, I'm not going to play. I am going to be the naive uh, city guy. But um, so Tulare Lake has reemerged. So this was a dry bed that had no water in it, and. Uh, it was, it's also not farmed or anything. So it was just like open space effectively, right? Uh, it, some area was, was farmed. So it's all privately loaned, um, owned land. Oh, it so, is. Yes, it, it is. And so that's why we can't really get in there in those properties because of it. But we did have, we, we did estimate to have a really like loss in those properties, but we didn't. So it's, it's great news. And, and I know we still have the Tulare Lake, but it's still there, but yes, it was the largest, lake west of mississippi um in the 1800s and then it disappeared because of drought and i assume irrigation and other policies that used up water resources yes primarily it was actually farm owners who purchased the property and pumped the water out and they created a lot of diversion in it and so there is kind of a lot of theory that you know the tulare lake could come back and we can have some um some fight there to keep the lake there. But mm. I don't think that's going to kind of grow really anywhere because, again, these are, it's privately um, owned land. And so. Interesting. And so this lake has now reemerged and uh, theoretically it's providing a bunch of water resources, at least I assume to the private owners who actually own that property and therefore own the water rights on it. Yeah, it is. It is impacting like our farming right now where obviously we have more water because last year we were in a drought and now we have all this surplus of water. Unfortunately, in some areas that work to be farmed, we can't farm it. So we lose the work there. You know, those agricultural workers are moving, uh, went elsewhere. We did talk to our farm bureau and they said, you know, usually when an, an episode like this happens where um, they can't no longer work, they just end up going to another county. So we are losing that and all mm. the um, but overall, I, 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 we are grateful that it, it wasn't as large as impact. Also, because of the Tulare Lake, uh, the state was able to step in and give us funding, approximately $21 million to build up the Corcoran Levy, because there was um, talks about a city, you know, potentially flooding. And we have two state prisons there, so we had mm. about 1,000 inmates. And so that was like on the forefront of us. And, you know, we even had the governor come to, to Kings County and we ended up getting funding for that Corcoran levy to, to raise that levy up so it would could hold the water. So I assume that work's been ongoing uh, to be try to be responsive. Yes, it actually we just it was just finally built about a week ago. Wow. So it was raised about three feet. And because of subsidence, there already was a levy there, but because of subsidence, it was actually going down more. And so because of the efforts from the state and obviously because we had a lot of pressure on on um the administration, we were able to get some resources from the state. So it was helpful. Well, so I just want to observe that, uh, I mean, it's a big contract and a lot of money, but, um, you know, given that these, all this rain started happening about eight months ago and it came through this period, like to turn around, get a contract signed and get that work done in less than a year, like bravo to, you know, government for actually uh, being super responsive in that particular circumstance, right? Yeah, you know, what ended up happening is that the uh, district who actually managed that Corcoran, le the, that levy, they actually started the work without funding. Yeah. And in hopes they that, bet. you know, they bet. 
Yeah, they were like, hey, like we 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 cannot let this flood. Like we have to do whatever. So we, they were asking for donors, you know, private landowners. You know, one we have one of the largest um, tomato company there um, out of that area, and so they had asked them for funding, you know, and so that's when we kind of stepped in and we helped them to try to get that. Um, that help from the state and ultimately we did get it so we were grateful for that they found it in the state budget you know for this year and we were able to to get the the 21 million for the corcoran levy well that's a material i mean that's a huge material impact i'm sure it saves a bunch of uh mitigates flood risk which saves a bunch of farmland which means we produce food which means we keep the price of food down which means you know people of all economic spectrums can afford to eat. Like there's all sorts of repercussions here, right? For doing the right thing. So kudos to that agency and to the county in general for helping make sure you were responsive to what could have been a pretty dire situation in the wake of all this massive rain that we've been fortunate enough to get, but it certainly created its own complications. Yeah, imagine moving. I mean, like I said, we had 8,000 inmates, two prisons there, and they were high max uh, maximum prisons, you know, and to have to move those inmates, it would have been tremendously cost you know yes. to kind of get them out so yeah. um so we were grateful for all that no yeah. uh all right so as we wrap up here you got anything else exciting you want to highlight uh before we before we we bring it to a close no kings county is always hiring and so you know anyone check us out on uh facebook and countyofkings.com and you can see all the great things that we are doing here in kings county Awesome. And uh, Kiria, for anybody who wants to maybe get in contact with you and ask about work in the county or get to know you better, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? They can just email me at kiria.martinez at co.kings.ca.us. We actually just started an internship program and we pay our interns. So if anyone's looking for an opportunity here, you know, the sky's the limit here. You know, um, we want to encourage everyone to come to Kings County. We have um Although we're we're small, we're mighty, you know, and we we are close enough to go to the to the Bay Area, but close enough to the coast. We're just centrally located, and so we always want to to sell that point to everyone. And the cost of living here is very affordable. That's music to a lot of ears in California. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, maybe after you finish up the CEO gig in your life, after twenty plus years of doing it, you can become a recruiter because you seem to be very good at, at making the recruitment pitch and pitch too. <laughs> so good job. Thanks. Yeah. All right. And that's today's report. My thanks to Kiria for joining us from the whole public CO team, myself, Ryder Todd Smith. Thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email editor at publicceo.com.